In today's podcast, I get to talk with Gihan Pereira, who is a futurist. I ask Gihan what exactly that is and why it's useful to business leaders. We discuss the biggest trends at the moment outside of pandemics, which is artificial intelligence and what impact this is having on people and business. We also talk about the two types of futures, the one that you can see and you know what's coming, and the second being the one that you don't see, you don't know what's around the corner, you can't predict, but you still need to be flexible and have the skills to operate in that environment. Gehan believes that one of the most essential skills is that everyone needs to be an active, lifelong learner. And here at The Breakthrough, we couldn't agree more. This episode is full of learning gems. We hope you enjoy. Gehan, welcome along to the podcast. So great to have you join us. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Ryan. Great to be here. Alrighty, Gihan, let's uh, get into some fast facts so that our audience can get to know you a bit uh, a bit better. Are you a breakfast or a dinner person? Oh, I'd say breakfast. Early morning, early bird. Right, and what would we normally find in the uh, in the breakfast bowl? Oh, look, I reckon uh, if I go out for breakfast, which I like to do, it's a bit of an indulgence, it's probably poached eggs, avocado, uh, smoked salmon. So oh, I reckon that's why that would be my got, breakfast choice. You've got it covered. Good, good protein, good, uh, good fats, and some good carbs in there. Oh, yeah, exactly. Killing it. Well done. On holiday, Gihan, are we likely to find you uh, bungee jumping or lying on the pool lounger? Ah, oh, look. I, I love New Zealand, but I don't, I've never got into any of those adventure sports in New Zealand, so I don't know that I'd be bungee jumping unless somebody pushes me off the ramp there. Um, we, we can yeah. arrange that. Yeah, okay, yes, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. So more lying by the pool, but actually probably somewhere in the middle, actually. Okay. And you're an author yourself, Gihan. How many books have you written now? I think it's up to 12 now. 12 books, uh, wow. Yeah, look, I reckon about six, about six of them are out of print now and, and, and obsolete because they're about older technology, you know, right. like how to do, how to search for things on the internet. This was before Google. Right. But, uh, but the more recent ones are certainly re- very relevant. I guess this is the uh, challenge of being a futurist. Sooner or later, the future catches up with you. Yeah, and it's okay. It's okay. It's one of the things I really like about my job is that I'm always learning something new and I always have to. And I think we all do. It's just that not everyone realizes that they have to. Mm, indeed. So reading reading a book, whether it be your own or someone else's, are we likely to find you reading a real copy or an electronic version? Oh, you know, I used to love print books and I thought I could never get over that love of actually holding a book in my hand. But as soon as I got a Kindle and a real Kindle, which you can yes. read, you know, so it doesn't have that backlit screen, mm-hmm. um, it's fantastic. And I just love ebooks now and Kindle books yes. and almost everything I get uh, is is downloaded onto my Kindle. And it's almost an inconvenience now to have a print book because Absolutely. I have to carry it around. Yeah, totally. It's pretty amazing that uh, that can the, the instant gratification being able to download a book and have it accessed immediately. And then uh, the fact that you can carry uh, thousands of them around all at the same time without uh, without any weight is pretty handy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I've got the pets question for you, Gihani. Are you cats or dogs? Oh, dogs. Definitely dogs. Oh, so we've got two cocker champion. spaniels. Awesome. Cocker spaniels. Uh, one of them is a little bit more naughty than the other one. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and we've always had dogs in our family. Excellent. Um, and tell us, with you, entertainment, would we most likely find you watching a thriller or some comedy? Comedy. I love comedy. I love yep. comedy. I uh, like stand-up comedy. I like going to live stand-up comedy. And, uh, you know, even like watching old 80s and 90s sitcoms. I'm kind of going through all, all the old episodes of Friends at the moment. So Fine. you'll see me watching a comedy more than you'd see me going to a thriller. I don't mind the occasional thriller. Yeah. Sure. And any aspiration to be the uh, stand-up comedian yourself? 
Oh, always, but uh, yeah. doesn't mean I'm going to realise it. <laughs> oh, look, Bihan, uh, having uh, had the absolute pleasure of watching you uh, present at the New Zealand HR conference um, last year, uh, I did detect a solid amount of uh, comedy in your in your presentation. So I think you're well on the way. Oh, good. Please tell my family <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, oh, look, family, uh, family are not supposed to laugh at your jokes. They're only supposed to laugh at you. So that's all. That's all good. You're on the right track. Exactly. Now, Gihan, uh, you uh, you're an author. You're a speaker. You run leadership programs. Uh, you've worked with many of Australasia's uh, biggest organisations, and I think the term you use is you refer to yourself as a futurist. Tell us, tell us, what does that mean? Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a term that I didn't use when I first started talking about it because not anyone knew what it was. But now people kind of have some sort of idea what a futurist is and they say, oh, can you predict the future? And I say, no, it's not really about predicting the future. It's, a, it's about looking at trends. And there are all these trends that you can look at in terms of people, in technology, in demographic trends, in global trends. And really what I'm looking at are things that are already out there but they may not be local yet. When you look at the future, the things that are already happening, uh, you just may not be aware of them. So part of my job is to look at what's out there and then bring it into a particular audience, particular client, in a way that makes it relevant for them and meaningful for them so that they can engage with it at the right level. Because not everybody needs to know about flying cars, but some organizations do. Uh, sure. Not everybody needs to know about the impact of Generation Z on the workplace, but most organizations do. And so it's kind of bringing those sort of ideas to people who need to know about them, but don't have the time to do the, the, the research and the analysis themselves. Mm. So what is, what is of most interest to you at the moment around your, your research and impact on our environments and our leadership and the teams that we're working with? Biggest trend at the moment, uh, without a doubt, Ryan, is artificial intelligence. So AI is big, it's everywhere. It's one of those things, there's a lot of hype around it, so some of it is overhyped, but there's actually a lot of reality in it as well. So we use AI all the time. We use AI when we talk to Siri or Google Home. We use AI, our cars have it built in, our shopping loyalty cards have AI built in. So it's, it's actually everywhere at the moment and that's only going to increase. So definitely that's the biggest thing that people are talking about and it's one of the biggest impacts that's going to affect us everywhere in the next 10 to 15 years. So give us an example. What's uh, an application of AI you know, outside of those examples you've already given us maybe in a, in a business context where you've seen it like really affecting the way an organization operates? Yeah, okay. So let's look at it both uh, outward facing and inward facing. So the outward facing example, which we've all experienced in some way or another, I think would be chatbots. So you go to a website, you get this little thing popping up saying, hi, I'm online. Uh, we're online. Can we have a chat? And you actually don't know whether you're talking to a person or whether you're talking to a smart bit of software, which can answer your questions. And it's been programmed to answer the basic questions. And then when you get something more complex, it nudges a real person in the back room to then take over. But you don't know. So chatbots are a really important part of AI. And it's quite common now in sales and yes. customer service. So that's a really good example of outward facing AI that lots of organizations are using. Inside organizations, it's being used by HR departments as well. Uh, so Deloitte says that already 
one third of HR organizations are using AI as part of their HR function. Now that's in a number of different ways. So the, the bad way is when AI is being used to make decisions about whether you should hire or fire people. You shouldn't use it for those judgment calls, but you can use it for doing things like filtering resumes and CVs as they come in. Uh, you can use it for doing things like helping people plan their career path by giving them an online learning, customized online learning path yes. that'll help them achieve their goals. They're the sort of ways that AI is being used to, to help people. And I always say, Ryan, it's not about uh, AIs and robots taking over your jobs. It's actually about AI helping you do your job better. Yes. Yeah, taking away some of those uh, highly repetitive, low-skill tasks so that then people, you know, humans can concentrate on things where more judgment, insight, uh, connection with a broader set of variables is, is really valid. Yeah, exactly. It's just like a typewriter uh, has been replaced by a word processor. It doesn't make me a better writer, but it certainly makes my writing more efficient and uh, it's easier for me to write than when I used to use a typewriter. But, just a it, tool. but it, it does make you a better speller. It does make me a better <laughs> speller. That's right. <laughs> Those little squiggly uh, red underlines that autocorrect are uh, very handy. Very handy indeed, <laughs> yes. So, Gihan, what are you uh, helping organisations with as we um, see technology moving at an ever-increasing pace? Uh, what is the uh, things that organisations, leaders, and the way we lead our teams, how is this being affected by the kind of technology like AI? Yeah, so the biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges that leaders are facing now is this, uh, the whole concept of digital disruption and digital transformation. So organizations who haven't been digital first are now realizing that they need to get on board to really transform their business. And it's not just around the edges, but really making some big foundational changes. And so they obviously, they employ really clever people who've got the technical skills to implement those changes, but the transformation doesn't happen unless you bring your people along on the journey with you. And, and that's, a, that's a really big challenge around. There are, there are organizations where there are people at all levels who are keen about, keen, they're enthusiastic, they want it to happen, but there are others as well who are, uh, who are scared about what that might mean for them. They're worried about this uncertainty that they've had maybe decades of experience where they've become really comfortable in knowing what's around the corner and suddenly they're thrust into this brand new world where they're just uh, drowning, not waving. And uh, it's a real challenge for them to take that on board and yet they know they need to do it. So there's this tension between, I know we need it, but I don't really want it. And so how do we move into this world where I actually don't know what's gonna happen, uh, but I still need to, especially as a leader, I still need to lead my people into this future, which even I don't know what's coming. Sure. And what guidance do you give the organizations you work with about how to deal with that exact challenge? Yeah, so it's, it's very much about how to deal with change. So first of all, dealing with change, but also dealing with uncertainty. So it's saying, hey folks, we don't know what's happening in the future. I don't know what's happening in the future but let's all go on the journey together. So it's actually leading with them rather than being the brave visionary leader who's out there ahead of everybody else and dragging everyone along. It's actually bringing people along with you on this journey. So I often say there's two kinds of futures, Ryan. So there's a, the future that you can see yes. and uh, you know what's coming 
uh, it may not be easy to get there, but at least you know what's coming. And then there's a second future, which you can't see. So you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what there, what's there in five or 10 years time. The best futurists can't predict some of the things that are, that are around the corner. And yet we still need to be nimble and agile and flexible. We need the skills to be able to lead and operate in this uncertain future. Hmm. So what are those skills? I mean, I think one of the uh, skills we talk with our clients about is uh, the master skill being learning. So actually, if you have the skill of being able to learn, take on new information, adapt it to what you already know, add your experience to it, and then and then go on, actually change gets less scary because you've actually learned the skill of learning. Would you agree with that? And what else would you add into that skill mix as, as something that today's leaders should be looking to to add into their mix? Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Ryan. So one of the, the big things is this whole idea of being an active learner or a lifelong learner. And in fact, the World Economic Forum, when they did their, their future of jobs report, looking at what skills we need for the next five years, and all around the world, there seem to be some common skills. And one of them is this idea of active learning. Everyone has to take responsibility for being an, an active, lifelong learner. And in fact, the World Economic Forum says that the typical employee will need about 25 days a year of a additional learning and skill uh, upskilling and retraining to be ready for the future. So 25 days a year is, wow. yes, that's, that's more than a month. That's more yes. than a month yeah. of time that they need to, that we all need to be upskilled. And I think that that idea of learning, we need learning at three levels. First of all, we need depth. So we definitely yes. need to know more about our level of expertise. We need to be up to date with what's new in our, in our specific area of expertise. And most people get that and they know that they need to do professional development. Your, your professional associate might do that, your organization might do that for you. But then the other two, probably not given as much focus. So it's going broad. So looking outside your area of expertise, yes. just to see what else is there in the world. Because we're so connected now, it's, you take something like self-driving cars and you say yes. self-driving cars, obviously, if you're in the car manufacturing industry, it's going to have an impact on you. If you're in the parking industry, it's going to have an impact on you. But actually, it has an impact everywhere. So it has an impact in healthcare because now we're going to have self-driving ambulances. It has an impact everywhere. And uh, that's just one example of technology which, which crosses over the most obvious areas. So you need to think broad and you need to find out, uh, just think about how things outside your typical industry or area of expertise are going to have an impact on you. So it's deep and broad. And the second one is to look further. So actually be a bit of a futurist yourself. So look a little bit ahead of, of what's happening at the moment so that you can be ready for that future. And it's not that hard to be a futurist. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, it's hard to do it at tip, but it's not that hard to just have a little look about what's a little bit further in, in your future. Even things like watching sci-fi movies and TV shows might be something that gives you some uh, spark of an idea and it's, it's, it's fiction I mean that's a five part of sci-fi but it can still be really valuable for you to think a little bit differently and I like I like that uh, that guidance Gian how do you if you're starting to work with a, an organization do you first try to understand what their current level of innovation is sometimes that word innovation is a bit scary for them because yes. they think innovation is about creating a new iPhone or finding yeah, a way yeah. to travel to Mars, you know, colonize sure. Mars. And it doesn't have to be about that. So I prefer to think of it as changed. So when you think about disruption and innovation, they're exactly the same thing. They're both about change. It's just disruption when it happens to you. It's innovation when you make change happen yourself. So all of us 
are a part of this massive change program, whether we're doing it intentionally or not, uh, we're having this massive change happening in our world. And so I help people and I help organizations with change. Now, not just change for change's sake, but you're looking at performance and productivity. So those are really the two words that I generally work with organizations around. Right. So how do you create, uh, how do you create a high performance team how do you attract and keep the best people so that then you can create this, this high performance team that will give you the competitive edge that you want or uh, let you keep that competitive edge that you've got. So yeah, like between you and me, it's totally about innovation. It, it, it yes, totally is. Yes. Uh, but uh, it doesn't, it's not that traditional kind of innovation like disrupting an industry. It's about how do we, like innovation is just change. How do we make change happen so that we continue to operate at high performance and continue to boost productivity in this fast-changing and uncertain world. Mm. And I'm sure we've got numerous uh, senior people leaders and business leaders listening that are going, oh, Gihan, I just need to know the answer. How do I create a high-performance culture and how do I massively increase productivity? Yeah. Uh, where, where do you start with leaders around that, those topics? Yeah, yeah, good, good. That's a, and yeah, you're quite right. It's a challenging question, but it's a good question. And I think the the key is to understand that. Well, I mean, Ryan, you and I both know that it starts with people, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about the technology. It's not about your infrastructure. It's all about your people. So you need to get your people on board, and it's really getting people on board at all levels. And one of the pieces of advice I give to any leader, and actually to audiences as well, is lean in. Don't block off or don't step back. So anytime you see something new, use it as a learning opportunity. Anytime you've got somebody who challenges you in your team or your organization, use it as a learning opportunity. So I see, and in fact, parents come up to me after my presentations and they go, um, how do I get my kids to get off their phones and use technology less? And I say, well, actually, maybe that's the wrong question. What if, you, what if you took the approach of lean in and say, in fact, you've got a futurist living with you who's a teenager, why don't you learn from them? Find out what they're doing with their technology. So um, engage with them rather than saying, no, turn off technology. Now, I'm not saying that all use of technology is appropriate. You might say, don't have your phone at meals or when we're having conversations, but there are other opportunities for you to use that as a learning opportunity. I think the same is true in the workplace, Ryan. There are so many opportunities to learn from people who traditionally, they would have been the students, but there's no reason now why well, they can't also be our mentors. So there's this, there's this shift towards reverse mentoring. So mm -hmm. um, in my audiences, I ask people, um, how many people here are part of a mentoring program? And actually, in most audiences, uh, more than half the people put up their hands. And then I say, how many people are uh, in a reverse mentoring program? And I get far fewer people put up up their hands probably only a handful of people in a room of 200 would put up their hands and reverse mentoring is the idea that rather than the older more senior person being the mentor to the junior person it's the other way around so the more senior person the more experienced person you know you recognize that you don't know everything and there are more junior people who actually have some skills and experience and expertise that you don't the obvious one is technology but it doesn't only have to be around that mm. and those knowledge and insights serve you so well when you're thinking about your uh, people recruitment or retention plans because suddenly you're getting a, a perspective of the people that are joining your organization or have recently joined. It gives you great insight around your customer segments. So, you know, you might be, what what would they um, call many of the people in the boardroom, male, pale and stale? And if yeah. they're uh, dealing with 
their customer segments are all in their like early 20s or 30s, then getting that uh, insight uh, directly from, from people around what those customer segments are thinking and what's interesting them is very, very good. Yeah, exactly right, right. And that whole idea of diversity is so important and uh, that whole, well, diversity and inclusion. And, you know, people talk about the two as if they're the same thing, but they're not, you know, like diversity is like having a whole bunch of colored pencils and inclusion is about using them when you're, yes. when you're doing your art, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, it's not enough just to tick the diversity box and say okay that's we've met our quotas that's not what it's about it's about embracing the diversity and uh, you know New Zealand's a country that's always done that really really well you know at organizational level as well but there's still for every organization there's always more that you can do in that area uh, and what you really want is that cognitive diversity because that's what other things like ethnic diversity sex gender age all of those sort of things and um, they help to bring in people from uh, people who've got different ways of thinking and uh, again, as you say, like if you've got pale male stale everywhere in, in, throughout your organization at board level and senior management level, you get one style of thinking, which is good. Yes. Like that one style is good yes. because it represents one part of the population. But what about everybody else? And what about everybody else's background and expertise and uh, ex- lived experiences? How do you capture that? And you can't capture it if you've only got one style of thinking. And so that, that whole idea of inclusion is absolutely essential. You know, the whole idea of diversity is not just a feel-good thing, but it actually has an impact on the bottom line. Inclusive teams are more productive. They're likely to keep their people longer. They uh, find it easier to recruit and they're more innovative. And it's not surprising because you've got people with different backgrounds, different ideas who are contributing and that's what we need. Superb. Superb. Gihan, you mentioned earlier about uh, Gen Z. So imagine I'm someone who's been in a work environment for a long time. I'm senior. I I might be in my 50s or 60s now. And I'm going, oh, I just don't. I just don't understand the kids these days. What what insights would you give? Okay, so I love Gen Z. So I love Gen Z. And I also want to make really clear that quite often Gen Z and Gen Y get lumped in together. And um, so first of all, we should say, Ryan, that anytime we're talking about generations and demographics like this, obviously we're making broad generalizations. Okay, yes. So it's not that every Gen Y or every Gen Z operates the same way. But so sure. Gen Y, the millennials, are the people who are now in fairly, like some, uh, in fairly senior leadership positions. They're just turning 40, the oldest millennials. And so they are leaders. The Gen Zs are the ones who are like the early 20s. So the digital natives, they're just moving into the workforce now. I've got two of them in my family. I've got a stepdaughter who's 21, a step um, son who's 19. Right. And I love that generation. They have n- never known uh, any world except for a digital world. And some of them have, have adapted to it really well and have figured out how to integrate the digital and the physical world really well. And there's so much we can learn from them. I'll give you one example. So my stepdaughter, Abby, she's she's really figured out how to use technology as an enabler, not a disabler for relationships. So Abs and I go out to breakfast or lunch occasionally, just the two of us. And so we, we go out somewhere. As soon as the meal arrives, what's the first thing she does? takes out her camera, takes a photo of it and posts it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, fine. Then she puts the phone away and we have an engaging one-on-one in-person conversation. Fantastic. And then later on in the day when she catches up with her friends, they go, oh, Abby, I saw you were at a so-and-so restaurant. You had squid ink pasta. How was that? So she's actually used the technology, um, which sometimes parents hate kids using their phones at restaurants but she's used it to increase connection and to increase uh, engagement with people in her network and Mm -hmm. I think those are sort of 
sort of lessons that we can learn from every generation. And I, I don't I don't only think we should be thinking about and learning from younger generations. Uh, older generations, experienced people have a lot of wisdom and experience and insight as well. And it's about, again, that inclusion thing, using all your colored pencils is recognizing that they are, they are different colors out there and they, they bring different light and shade to the picture that you're drawing. So yeah, so if you say, I don't understand them, again, lean in learn from them rather than trying to put them into a pigeonhole, put them into a yes. box and say, now I get you. So now I'll treat you this way. It's not that. It's not mm. that at all. Uh, you wouldn't want them to treat you like that. So uh, don't treat them like that, that as, uh, either. So treat them with respect and be open to the idea that they actually know stuff that you don't and mm -hmm. they have lived experiences that you haven't. And, and I know this all sounds very wishy-washy, Ryan, but it's really the key of making, uh, of creating a team that's cohesive and that does build performance. Um, Google did some research into what makes a high-performance team yes. and they identified these five things. And the number one thing that they identified for making a high performance team was what they call psychological safety. So you may have come across this research, yes. Brian. Yes, I have. And, and that whole idea of psychological safety is to say that I feel safe in this team environment. I feel safe to be different. So if I say something that's a little bit challenging, a little bit different, I'm not going to get laughed at to my face. I'm not going to get laughed at behind my back. Uh, my manager and my team members have got my back. And you can't do that unless you truly embrace diversity. And if you do, then you do get the benefit of this psychological safety. Absolutely. So, Gahan, let me uh, throw a little curveball at you. Uh, let's go back a, uh, I guess, probably three decades now. Um, I'm going to appoint you the CEO of Kodak. Digital technology is, is coming in. What would you have done? Yes, it's an interesting, like, because uh, I know a little bit of the, about the Kodak story. So, the Kodak, what actually happened with Kodak, you, you hear a lot of stories about uh, a lot of untrue stories about what happened to Kodak. It's actually true that a Kodak engineer invented the digital camera. He did take it to management and management said, this is kind of good, but the first digital camera was expensive. Yes. It took a long time to prepare a photo and the photos were really grainy because the technology was no good. So Kodak said, you know, this is interesting, but it's never going to uh, compete with what we've got. So let's not worry about it. And, and the real lesson is that Kodak didn't see exponential growth. So they didn't see this thing that uh, even though it was slow and clunky at the time, it got better and better and better and it got better really quickly. And so other things overtook Kodak, so Yahoo, now Facebook and Instagram and Kodak should have done that or could have done that but they didn't see exponential growth and I reckon that's one of the it's a really it's difficult Ryan and it's really difficult for humans to understand uh, Albert Einstein called this the eighth wonder of the world like compound interest uh, which is uh, the whole idea of exponential growth like doubling yes. we don't really understand that if I'm, if I'm riding my bike up a hill and the hill is going up at a slope I know that when I'm halfway up the hill I'm halfway there and that slope is I've just got to keep doing the same effort uh, for the same amount of time and I'll get to the end I'll get to the top of the hill but now if that if that hill is growing exponentially if the slope is exponential when i'm halfway there it's only it's less than one percent of the effort almost all the growth is going to happen in the very last 10 percent yes. of that climb and it's very hard for us to visualize that for for us to even experience that but our world is so exponential now uh, technology is growing exponentially uh, people and connections are also growing exponentially because we're all connected now with 
online networks and networks yes. grow exponentially. Uh, so messages and uh, information uh, is transmitted exponentially. So, but it's really hard for us to understand that. So we look at something and we go, oh, you know, it's only half a percentage of our market share that we're losing, or we've, we've lost one in one in a hundred employees who's gone to this, gone to a competitor. It's only 1%. It doesn't matter. It's not going to be a big difference, but we might be on the start of the exponential growth curve. So I think as leaders, we need to look for these little signs and not discard them because they're little. In the past, you could. In the past, you could say, ah, oh, it's only 1%, 0.1%. We're down half a percent in productivity. We've maybe lost one of our thousand best people, um, but we might be on the start of this exponential growth curve and we just don't know. So we've got to be always alert to that. So be alert to the small things. And I think that's a really important thing for any leader now is not to let the small things, not ignore the small things just because they're small. Yes. And a key concept we talked with our clients a lot about is making sure that uh, leaders have time in their calendar where they can spend time thinking about developing, thinking about the future of the organization, thinking about what the organization's employees are looking for and how things are evolving because we can all fill our time with operational detail. We can fill 40, 50, 60 hours a week with that, no problem at all. And it takes a real discipline from a leader to actually take that time to stop and think about things and think about the, the future impacts of what's going on. Yeah, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you said that, Ryan, because I say exactly the same thing. I often ask leaders, I challenge them by saying, what percentage of your salary is going towards you working on the past and what percentage is going work on the future. And Brilliant. for most leaders, as you say, too focused. Oh, well, they're very focused on the operational work. They're focused on day to day and less than 5% of their time is spent looking at the future. And yet that's part of their role. And they, they know it's a strategic imperative for them. And yet it's not easy to do that. If you're trying to make the time in the gaps between everything else. You have to create the time and schedule the time and make it something that you do intentionally rather than just hope that you're going to find the time for it. Absolutely. So maybe on that uh, insight, Gihan, one of your books, The Future of Leadership, you talk about nine things that successful leaders do. Can you give us an insight, maybe not all nine, but give us a couple that uh, you know are really important and then our audience can can get that book and read the whole nine if they're uh, interested? Let's look at one of them, which we've, which we've touched on earlier, Ryan. It's the idea of learning and development. It used to be that most L&D traditionally was done in a classroom, like in a training room. There were good reasons for that because that was the most efficient way of doing it. And unfortunately, for many organizations, they still think of that as the go-to way for doing learning and development. It's, um, I'm not in any way saying that we shouldn't have training and workshops and bringing people together in classrooms for those, that kind of skills training. But there are other options now. So we mentioned a couple of them, like mentoring, yes. uh, mentoring, reverse mentoring, but there are others as well. So get people participating in facilitating case studies and working in groups in solving problems and look at online learning and look at ways where you do things like uh, shadowing. So uh, shadowing is where somebody works with somebody else for a while. And so there are organizations who do this. So they set up, set up a formal shadowing program where I can say, I would like to see what it's like being on a, in a customer service role. Sure. And for, so for three months, I'd like to work in the customer service area. And so then they have these guidelines for both. So 
there are obviously two managers involved in that, uh, plus the employee, and they're saying, okay, this, we're going to uh, second you to this customer service role, and there's some advice for both managers on how to make that work, and, and also for the, for the employee you're doing it for how to make that work effectively and no no you can't do that everywhere you can't say oh i'd like to be the pilot of this plane for the next three months uh, without these qualifications but that sure. doesn't mean just because you can't do the extremes doesn't mean that you can't do anything at all sure. and, and it's giving people experience in those areas and that may be just as effective and often more effective than sending somebody off to a training course because um, even if that person doesn't go oh, oh i found my new destiny i want to work in customer service they're going to have a much deeper understanding of what's involved in that aspect of the business. So when they go back to their own area, if that's where they return to, they're going to have uh, better engagement with customer service. They've probably developed some better relationships. They've got greater knowledge. So when they're involved in decision making, they can now bring all that knowledge and insight into, into that decision process as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- and I actually think that's a more common example. There's a more common scenario than somebody saying, oh, I'd just like to try this role for a while. I mean, that does happen where you say, I want to be in this like acting role. I want to just test it out, test the waters. Uh, but more commonly, it's like, I want to see what this role is like because my role connects with that role and I don't really understand what they do. So this helps me, as you say, exactly. It helps me understand what problems they're solving. So so I can help them solve those problems. I saw a really great example of uh, organizations that were just trying to encourage their organize, organization to think more innovatively and grow relationships. And they called it the five by five by five by five challenge, where they right. took uh, groups of five people. They had five weeks. They could spend five hours a week out of their work week and they got a $5,000 budget and they were then given that to go do whatever you like. So they could choose to solve a challenge that the organization faced. They could look at something that uh, they thought might be helpful in their market. They could look at developing processes. You know, there was no remit around it, but just bringing broad teams together and putting that uh, four times five uh, framework around it, and they got some phenomenal uh, results out of that approach. So, And I think that's, uh, that's a really good example, Ryan, because it, it talks to this idea of having a process in place and creating, like intentionally making it happen rather than just hoping it'll happen by default. And, you know, there's, there's lots of things that you can just do informally, and there are other things where it helps to have a formal process where people have got permission to do things differently. And uh, it's exactly what you were saying earlier, it's carving out time to make that happen. So on a, like on a very small scale, one of the exercises that I recommend to all leaders and managers everywhere, uh, talking about this idea of thinking broader rather than just uh, deeper, yes. is uh, again, one of the skills that the Institute for the Future identified as a future skill is this idea of transdisciplinarity, which simply means looking at things from outside your discipline and figuring out how they connect. So one of the exercises that you can do is just ask people um, at at a team meeting. So you might have a a weekly uh, team meeting or every two weeks you have a team meeting and you might have a five minute exercise where you take some technology, let's say self-driving cars and you go, hey, you know what, self-driving cars, what ideas do you think that, uh, what, what impact might that have for us? Or you might take something like 3D printing what impact might that have for us? And it, it may not be obvious. It may not be obvious what 3D printing has for healthcare, but it's like, that's an example that actually is in use. There are now 3D printed pills so that if somebody has a sequence of medication that they need to take, rather than taking five pills in the day and a different or 
you know, sometimes it's once a week or sometimes it's every day. You can actually have a 3D printer that will print a, a daily pill for you to take wow. that will have everything built into it. Now, mm-hmm. you don't normally think of 3D printing in things like healthcare for printing pills for, uh, for pharmacists or, sure. or hospitals. And yet, that's an example that if you just open your mind to that sort of thinking, you might get an idea like that. Again, carve out the time. It only takes five or 10 minutes at a staff meeting to say, hey, let's do something creative here. Uh, so just okay. getting people, it gives people permission to think outside mm. their normal operational day-to-day role. Great. Gihan, I could, I could talk to you for hours. You have so many uh, wonderful insights into what's happening in the world and how we can lead teams and be better leaders uh, ourselves. Uh, I think a couple of things that have really stood out for me is this mindset of being prepared to lean into challenges, issues, um, opportunity even. So I think uh, if listeners said, you know, I'm going to take that mindset of really leaning into things and, and being prepared to learn from from others i think that would be a wonderful takeaway and uh this idea of just thinking differently and and broadening the horizon so opening your mind to the to the world and just taking some time to think about what's happening it would be a a great step forward for many leaders and their organizations yeah great now um gehan i have been uh fortunate enough to see you present live and would just uh, thoroughly recommend anyone who's uh, looking for a, a speaker or that has got an organization that is going, hey, we're in a traditional mode. We're not quite sure how we deal with this change. Would thoroughly recommend they uh, connect with you and you give them some help. Where can people find you? What's the best way to connect? Very easy to find online. It's gihanperera.com. The, the website has all my contact details, including all my social media links as well, social media connections. I'm reasonably active on LinkedIn as well. So, and newsletter, podcast, webinars, just sign up for everything and you get access to a whole bunch of more resources from me. Brilliant. And Gihan, we'll put that uh, web link in the uh, podcast show notes so people can find that nice and easily as well. And uh, I understand your presenting again in New Zealand and Queenstown later in the year. What's what's happening there? Yeah, yeah, love, I love coming to New Zealand and uh, I'll do that anytime I, I can, Ryan. And so this is again for HR New Zealand. So they've invited me back because there's a summit around technology and AI. And so I'll be sharing some of these ideas around, particularly around the HR function, talent and leadership. How do we use technology more effectively and particularly what's going to be happening with AI? And that's coming up in October. So uh, I'll be sharing some of the some of the latest research, but also some really practical things that you can do with AI and technology. Brilliant. And uh, like we needed a better excuse to go to Queenstown. Yeah. Uh, now we not only get to see Queenstown, but we get to see you, Gihan, as well. Gihan, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, your insights are brilliant. I have seen many, many people speak and a few hold the stage or deliver as much value as you do. So thank you for the, for the work you're doing and thanks for uh, broadening our minds as you do it. Yeah, thanks very much, Ryan. I really appreciate the opportunity. Opportunity. 